Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Good morning, everybody. Come on in and find your seat. Things are about to get serious. Oh no. Double oh no. I got a new tablet sometime this fall, and I realized I've never used it to come up and teach before, and I am ill-equipped because I forgot to put my teaching on it, and it's not linked to the Wi-Fi, so we're going to scrap it and use my phone. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're all here on this rainy January. Um, Aaron said he thought about making the forever rain pun about the weather, but he didn't. I won't either. We're continuing our series on 2 Peter today. Woohoo! This is my first one. Fred took the first two weeks, and I've got week number three. And so I get to correct everything Fred said that was wrong, like he kept blaming me for giving him all the verses. Like, how many verses did he teach that first week? He's like, Tom does this to me all the time. Well, just so it's very clear, Fred picked the verses this time. He made the teaching series, divided it up, and assigned the teachers... He gave himself that many verses. In fact, I was supposed to teach the four verses last week, and I gave them back to him so he could have a short one. So him blaming me is not my fault. Don't believe everything you hear Fred say. Generally, if it's about scripture, it's pretty good. But if it's about me, take it with a grain of salt. General, um, one of you used to tell people, and I don't remember who it was, it was Jack or Mitch or it was somebody used to say, whatever Tom says, throw 90% of it out the window because it's just ridiculous. But that 10% you really need to hold on to. You remember who used to say that? Was that one of you guys? No? Somebody used to say that. I just think it's probably true. It might have been Fred. <laughs> However, everything I've said so far is truthful. So I didn't make any of that up. The only thing I, maybe I said, yeah, the rest of the teaching's got to be lousy. <laughs> no. The only thing I said that might not be 100% truthful is when I said I wasn't going to make the pun about the rain. However, I kind of halved it by telling you I wasn't going to, right? So there's a little bit of a stretch there. Anyway, how many of you guys have ever been called to go do jury duty? Okay, quite a few of us, right? Um, how many of you had to sit on a jury during a court trial? A few of us. I haven't. I've been called into jury duty here in Tippecanoe County three times. Twice they just canceled it before I even had to go. And the process they usually take is they call in 40 or 50 people and they need 12. And so they'll have the 12 jurors come up at a time and ask them a bunch of questions. And then the defendant side and the prosecuting side will ask questions and pick the jurors that they think will give them the best trial or the best fair trial. So I was in one about probably six years ago, maybe five years ago now, where I was called in, and it was a trial for a guy who was being convicted and accused of doing a drive-by shooting on a drug house in Lafayette. And this wasn't his first offense. It didn't look real promising for him. And as I was sitting there, I wasn't chosen to be part of this trial. But as they were talking about 
who was going to be there, who was going to testify. They had, I think, 17 police eyewitnesses about this crime. 17 police officers were there and could testify about what they saw and heard at this particular event. And that doesn't necessarily mean the guy is guilty, but boy, it doesn't seem real helpful, right? So anyways, I didn't get picked. I wasn't one of the jurors that got to go up and respond, so I got to go home, and they paid me like 10 bucks for my day, which is great money. But what I thought was really interesting about this trial is, here's a guy who did something, and there was a whole host of witnesses who were ready to stand before a judge, swear to the truth, and testify, here is what I saw and that is what they were looking for, were jurors to hear this testimony and decide, is this testimony trustworthy? And that's the way our court system generally works, right? You have people testifying before the judge saying, this is true, this is what I saw. We also do you know, all kinds of forensic evidence and all kinds of other things, legal mumbo-jumbo, I don't understand. Our section of Second Peter today is Peter claiming to be an eyewitness to the truths of Christ. That he saw it, he heard it, and he wants that to be a foundation for what the church believes. So as we look into it here, why don't we pray? We're going to ask God to speak here today to help us be convinced of his word and the truth of what we believe. Lord God, we just come to you today. God, just like the song we are saying, we want to run to your arms because you are a good father, that your love is abundant. God, that you will come and do justice on this earth, Lord, but you still came and died for the sins of this world that we might be forgiven and brought close to you. God, thanks that the truth that you came as a man, that you lived on this earth for probably around 33 years, you ministered, you did many miracles, and then you were killed on a cross and then three days later, you rose again. God, and you showed yourself to many. God, that is what we believe. And we believe that that means that we can be saved. God, and that that is something we put our faith and our hope in is the grace you showed us through your death and resurrection. Help us today, just as we talk, to be convinced, to be reminded of the truth that you have given us of what you did 2,000 years ago on the cross and be building us up in the knowledge of you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got my uh, kids' mugs today, you know. They're so cute. If you want a copy of this, it could be yours for only $16.99. They're only like $11.99, but I need to make a profit, so it's fine. Um, so we're walking through Second Peter. Last fall, we did First Peter, talking about how to walk as a Christian in a persecuting world that is hostile to what we believe. That's what we did last fall. And the answer to that was, by holding on to Jesus and doing good in the world around us. That was the basic answer. This passage, or this section, 2 Peter, is the second book Peter wrote. And it really has to do with, at the end of Peter's life, he sees the end of his life coming, and he wants to remind the same group of believers of the truth. And Fred did a great job the first two weeks of sharing with us the passages that we have been given great promises that we have a faith that is the same as the faith Peter had, that we can hold on to and add the virtues of the Christian life to that faith. 
and that if we don't add those virtues and it's not working, it's probably because we forgot that we're saved. We forgot the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. That's the section he taught. And the last week he taught on um, Peter reminding them and how important it was to be reminded over and over and over again of what's true and what we believe. And so when we come together as a church, that's what we do together, right? We sing together, we hear the word taught, we fellowship together, and the heart is so that we are reminded of the truths of God, that we can respond to him. That any one of us, if we're just on our own, it's easy to slip away and forget. But when we're together, we're strong in the Lord. And so Peter here is writing to remind them over and over again about the truths of the gospel. Here's our theme verse that Fred has reminded us of this a couple of times. It's, the, I believe, the last verse in the book. And here's what it says. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. As really great is, as we're looking to this book, Peter's heart is to remind them to continue to grow in looking to Jesus' grace, his unmerited favor, and his help in our lives, and to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. And that, Peter, I believe, thinks is what we need as Christians, is to keep growing in relying on the grace of Jesus and growing in understanding who he is. So today, our section is pretty fun. I think today's section really talks about how Peter wants us to trust him and why it's important to hear from him and why he is a good eyewitness. And also how we can look not just to what Peter says, but look to the whole scripture as the real foundation of our belief. Because the section before, Peter's saying, I want to remind you of this over and over again. Listen to me. The section after this says, and false teachers are going to come and try to convince you of something that's not true. This section is him saying, here are the things you should hold on to. This is why we believe what we believe. Here's the foundation we can hold to and why. So why don't we go ahead? Why don't we read our verses? I have a whopping six verses today. Thank you, Fred. We're going to read the, through the end of the chapter, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. So here we go. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's, someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There is some really interesting stuff in this section. It's one of the clearest places where Peter, the writer of this book, Peter, saying, I was there. I saw some cool stuff. You should listen to me. And also, where he talks about 
How do we have the scripture? What is it? And why should we listen to it? And so we're just going to dig in here a little. I don't know if I have profound thoughts today. Hopefully the scripture is pretty profound for us because I ain't going to be. I just wanted to look at those two sections. One is about being an eyewitness to the glory of Jesus. The other one is to the reliability of the prophetic scriptures. And let's take a look here at what he says. Number one, eyewitnesses. Peter here, he says, hey, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. He is saying, what we saw is what we really saw. I didn't get together with a bunch of guys and talk together about how can we deceive the world into believing something we want them to believe. We didn't come up with this crazy system and agree, let's lie to everybody about what this is. It's not myths, is what he is saying. What we are telling you is exactly what we saw. Exactly what we saw. He says, um, For when he, when Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, we ourselves there heard this voice from heaven. One of the questions is, what's he talking about here? This moment is a moment in Scripture, somewhere else, the Gospels record a moment where several disciples were with Jesus on a mountain. And I actually have those verses for us. Why don't we come here and look at them? Matthew 17 is one of the sections that talks about this moment in Scripture. It says, Toward the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, he has been preaching, sharing the gospel, and he is very close to going to Jerusalem where he's going to declare himself king and be betrayed, crucified, and killed right before then. And here's what happened. At the beginning of this chapter, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured or transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Up to this point, the disciples, they had followed Jesus. Jesus had picked 12 of them to be his disciples or his apostles, the ones who would walk with him. And these three were his closest friends on earth, Peter and then James and John. And Jesus takes them to the top of the mountain, and up to this point, they knew he was pretty cool. They knew he was probably the prophet that was promised, and likely even the Messiah who was going to come and set up God's kingdom on earth. They had a lot of assumptions about who he was. When Jesus went on this mountain, and he, it says he was transformed before him, he was basically changed from a man into the glorious God that he was. They saw him for what he really was. And it blew their minds. This would be a really impactful moment, wouldn't it? If you were walking with me, and all of a sudden we went to a mountain, and all of a sudden, like, wow, you know, light shining off my face, God speaks, 
The very voice of Yahweh, the God of your father, speaks down from heaven and says, this is my son. I am pleased with him. You should listen to him. Wouldn't that leave an impact on you? What Peter is really interesting, we can go back to the first Peter verse here, Kara. What Peter is saying here is, we saw it. We saw him transformed on the mountain. We heard it. Not just me. Three of us were there together, and we all say the same thing. That we saw him changed, and we heard God speak from the majestic glory, which is the, the shining cloud that was there, right? And for them, I believe that was a moment where they realized Jesus was more than just a man. I think they understood something more. I don't think they fully got it till much later, but they understood something more, something that terrified them enough that they fell down. A quick aside here. Our society is really interesting right now. We don't really like eyewitness testimony. We don't really trust it that much. I saw a clip from um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you know who that is. He's a scientific educator, and he loves talking about, he's like the more modern Bill Nye, the science guy in some ways. Um, loves sharing things about science, about things. He's also a very pretty strong atheist and believes science is everything you need. But he shared a story about being in a jury where they were picking similar to I was and saying, with the evidence you see and this eyewitness, would you have a problem convicting the person? And he raised his hand and said, I would have a problem if eyewitness testimony was the only thing used to convict this person. Because he knew eyewitness testimony often is really kind of sketchy. People can remember things wrong. People sometimes have a collective memory. In fact, this is a scientifically shown psychological issue in our society. A collective memory as a society that is not correct. In fact, they call it, I think it's called the Mandela effect, where many people in the 1970s or 80s, when Nelson Mandela was in prison, they have a very distinct memory of him dying in prison. Except he didn't die, right? And so, in our society today, we don't hold eyewitness testimony that highly. It's really interesting. What do we look to more? Scientific evidence. We want DNA evidence. We want photographic evidence, which can easily be faked nowadays, by the way. Um, and all these other things as supporting evidence to the eyewitnesses. However, in Peter's day, that was not the case. In fact, in every court of law at the time, eyewitness testimony was the best thing, the most sure evidence you could have. In fact, even in Deuteronomy, in the Jewish law, it talked about eyewitnesses that you needed two people to agree. And if two people agreed on what they saw, that was admissible in court for any crime. That was proof enough. And so there was two things that had to happen. You couldn't come in with hearsay and say, well, I kind of heard this thing, or somebody told me this about this situation. You had to do two things. You had to have seen it with your eyes, and you had to have heard it with your ears. And if you look at what Peter is sharing right here, he says, three of us saw it. We were on the mountain when this happened. We heard God's voice from heaven declaring this to be his very son. 
what Peter's sharing right here is saying, this is an airtight argument before court that this happened. That's really interesting to me. Peter is helping us remember and remind us of the fact that he is a trustworthy witness to the glory of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. It's kind of fun if you go back to the Gospels, when the disciples started to run around and declare that Jesus had risen from the dead, it's not recorded anywhere in history, in the Bible, in Jewish literature, of anyone coming and saying they're wrong because we have the body. Right? They never found the body. It wasn't there in the tomb. What's recorded is that the Jewish leaders paid the guards who were there at the tomb, who saw the angels, who heard the earthquake. They ran away in fear. They paid the guards that were there to lie about their testimony because they knew they didn't have any real evidence to refute the truth that Peter was saying. This is why we listen to Peter. When he tells us, pay attention to what I say, when John writes, actually, same thing is said actually in John's gospel. Here's what John, first John said that we studied last year. It says, John's account that was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the words of life. John held the same testimony and the same witness that Peter did and had the same criteria from their culture about what was necessary for belief. That's pretty cool for us to look at it and understand it in that context. And so I guess my question for you guys is, how much do you really believe, how much do you really believe that what the Bible says happened historically, particularly about Jesus, how much do you really believe that that's true? Much of our culture has decided, even in the last hundred years especially, that most of what happens in the scripture is myth. It's mythologized. That it was written down so long after when Jesus spoke and did his work that it became all of this fantasy was added in to make it more persuasive. In fact, that you shouldn't, anything in the scripture that seems supernatural or a little outside of our cultural understanding is probably not accurate, that they added that in later. But the reality of it is, if you start to dig into this, you start to understand that Peter wrote this probably 30 years after Jesus died. He was alive. He was an eyewitness to these things. Same thing with John. Same thing with uh, Matthew. Same thing with Luke. Um, they all painstakingly wrote down what was seen and what was heard. It's not a myth, guys. It's true. I guess my question for you today is, do you really believe that? I do. I'd bank my life on it. I hope you would too, because if we understand what they're saying is truth, it will change your life. And that leads us to our second part here, the prophetic word. Peter moves on. He says, we have something more sure 
And a lot of translations also say this as, we have something made more sure, the prophetic word. And I, I like that translation. I think that's probably more accurate to what the original was getting at, is that we have this prophetic word, the prophetic scriptures that God had given us, God had given the Jews in the Old Testament. And when we look at that, we understand it more fully. It, we are more sure of that word because of what Peter saw on the mountain, the resurrection, who Jesus was, how he came to be. You look back at scripture and you say, wow, all these things that it was predicting would happen, many of them just happened. And we can look at it and say, this is true. And I love that he says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. You could also maybe look at it as, we are on a mountain with Jesus, but the word is a more reliable witness than we are. Now here's what I think is really interesting here. What does he tell us about the word? He said there's this prophetic word, prophetic meaning spoken on behalf of God or through God. There's these words that were spoken, and you would do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place. That Peter is reminding them this stuff that was written down even centuries ago is important to you right now because it is God's light shining in a dark place. What he spoke, he spoke it to a people. Much of the Old Testament was written over 2,500 years ago or more. However, Peter's reminding them that God spoke it and he is using it to light up dark places in our hearts. I'm not sure how often you read the Bible. I meant to bring a Bible up here, you know, so I could wave it at you, but I didn't. I waved my phone at you, you know. You don't know if that's my phone or fantasy football, right? <laughs> I don't know how often you read the Bible. I try to read it every day. I'm usually pretty good at it. I don't know how often you feel like God's word lights up the dark places of your heart. God's word is so important because in it, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through his word and through his promises. Everything you need to follow Jesus, to know him, to understand him, and to walk with God in this life is in the word. Everything. You don't need anything more. It's all there. But so often, I think, we come to the word and we read it and it's dry and it's boring it's not something we delight in. We don't feel like we're close to God as we're in the Word. And so we kind of forget. We don't do it. We do it begrudgingly, forgetting that God wants to use His Word to show us places in our lives that are dark, to shine light into our soul, to help us understand who He is and how He is, like we say, how He has chosen us, how we are loved, how we are forgiven. I love that he continues on here. He kind of shares why you can trust the word. Because he says in verse 20 here, he says, knowing this first of all, before anything else, you need to know this, that no prophecy of scripture 
comes from someone's own interpretation. Or you could say from someone's own imagination. No one just thought and made up the prophecies of Scripture. But what's the alternative here? He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's a really cool verse because it's one of the few places that tells us what mechanism God used to produce what we call the Bible. It wasn't just someone had some nice thoughts about God and wrote them down, and we kind of looked to them as a human sharing some wisdom with us, right? We do this all the time in our society. I know some of you are having babies. You're reading a lot of books or websites from some lady or guy who's had babies or thinks they could have babies, I don't know, about how to raise children, right? And we gain wisdom from one another, from our experiences, from our thoughts. You guys are in philosophy class potentially, learning about all these different ways to think as a society, right? Peter is telling them, look, that is not what the scripture is. That is not what we look to. That's not what I'm talking about here. And there's, like, in fact, a lot of Christian writing that isn't scripture or the holy word delivered by God. What he's saying here is that men did write it down, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. That they were, in a sense, inspired by God to write what they wrote. It's not just God wrote whatever he wanted. He used men, in this case, all the authors are men. He used men, inspiring their thoughts, their personality, their words to write down exactly what God intended for them to write. That every word in Scripture in the original writing, when it was written down, was inspired and inerrant. There is no error in it in what God desired. And we understand now we have 2,000 years of history that there are some things where like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what the original said. And if you do your research, you'll see that over 98% of what we do have, we can trace back to shortly after it was written, especially the New Testament, within 100 years of when it was written, we have actual manuscripts of what was written down, and we can look at it with surety about what was written down. And Peter is saying that thing that was written, you can trust that it is from God. God wrote through these men. What's really interesting is at the end of 2 Peter, Peter shares a really interesting little tidbit that he, it seems like he considered the writings when he was writing this the things that were being written by the apostles, he considered those of equal weight and equal inspiration to the Old Testament prophets. That he thought what the apostles were writing was of the same caliber as what the Old Testament prophets wrote. That's pretty interesting. And that's what we believe. We believe that the New Testament we have and the Old Testament we have, both of them are equally inspired by God and equally valuable for us Hearing from God himself for our lives. Now, we live in a postmodern society. Some of you are so young that you don't even remember what a modern society looked like. It was like my childhood. It seemed like there was truth. Either you believed it or you were wrong, right? That's the way I was raised. Most of us now... We live in this society where like morality is subjective. 
There's no absolute morality, no absolute truth, no absolute religion where one is right and everything else is wrong. It's a matter of what works for you. That's what our society believes and what it teaches. And often we will look at Scripture and we'll look at it from a mindset of, well, what is important is that I get out of it whatever I need or whatever I want. I want to look at Scripture and let it feed me, make me feel better, or help me in some way. And it doesn't matter if what I think Scripture says is the same thing that other people think it says or that Andrew thinks it says. And that is not the way Scripture is presented to us by the Lord. When it was written down, it had an intention. It had a purpose. This letter was written to a people 2,000 years ago with a purpose of what he was trying to accomplish as he wrote it. And it was really meaningful to them. And I can look at it now, and I have a choice to decide, will I seek to understand what that original purpose was? Or am I going to seek to make it have its own purpose for me? One of those will lead us to a firm foundation in what we believe and is what Peter is talking about. It's not up to us to interpret the Bible. It's up to us to understand what it's truly saying. And the beautiful thing is that God says his word is living and active, that he is actively trying to help us understand what his word is really saying. It's not up to us and our own interpretation. It's up to us to humbly come before God and hear what it says. And I think the reality for each one of us is, whether we've been a believer for a long time or a short time, we have to ask ourselves, do I really believe the Bible is God's word that he wants to use in my life to help me grow? Do I really believe it's like a light shining in dark places that I need to pay attention to? Because I know there's been times in my life where I feel like I've gotten everything there is to get out of the Bible for me. I've read it dozens of times maybe at this point in my life, all the way through even, I'm not sure. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I feel like I need something else. I feel like I need someone else to tell me what's going on, which isn't bad, by the way to have someone else help us understand the scriptures? Or do I ask myself the question, why is it that I've lost my love for the word? Why is it hard for me to want to engage with it? And what I inevitably come up with is that there's some reason that I really don't want to hear it. I don't really want God to touch my life. I don't really feel like God's helpful for me. In fact, in the last couple seasons of my life here, life's been hard. I've felt unwell. Many hard things have happened in my life. And I can easily find myself not wanting to hear from God because actually I don't really trust him. I don't trust that going to the word is going to bring life. It just feels like there's death, right? But the reality is as I slow down, as I read his word, as I look at it and I start to pay attention I let his word light up what's going on inside of me, and it helps me understand where I am not believing the Lord. Even this week, reading in, um, I want to say it was Leviticus. I was reading in Leviticus, which is a real delight, by the way. And there's all these 
sacrifices that the Jews have to make to be right with God. And I recognized as I was reading about what God had prescribed for the Jews to do to make up for their sin, I reacted to it in my heart. I didn't like it. I didn't like what God was saying. And I feel like recently, normally I would just blow by that, not liking it and just keep reading. But I felt like God was working in my heart to slow down and notice when his word is touching my heart. When there's something I don't like, oftentimes that is God showing me, there's something here, Tom. There's something not right here. There's some darkness in your heart or in your soul that needs to be worked on. That's been my experience the last few weeks, is God revealing hard places in my heart through his word. Other times, he will bring me to places where he'll help me understand who he is even more and it will feed my head. And I'll be like, wow, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Sometimes he'll touch my heart and encourage me in places where I'm struggling or challenge me in places where I'm being negligent. But his word is at work in us. And so as we close here, I got just two thoughts for us, two conclusions, and I'd like to challenge you guys with something. The first one is that this is really true. When we get together, when we sing, it's not just some feel-good moment. There is a reality and a grounding to what we believe in history, in what has truly happened, and that gives us a hope for what is going to happen. It helps us be firm in our beliefs. Do you really believe that? Do you believe this is true? And secondly, that God has given his word to help us grow in our life, and our godliness with him. I'd like you to consider what is your attitude to his word today? Do you go to it with excitement, expecting to hear from the Lord? Do you come to it begrudgingly doing it because the pastors tell you to do it? That's better than nothing, I suppose, but that's not where you're going to find your life. Coming before your good, good father, humbling yourself and saying, God, what do you have for me? I believe God can poke at your heart no matter where you're at in Scripture. He can use his word to help us see how we view him poorly or rightly, to help us go deeper with him, and to have a more robust faith and belief in what is true. So I challenge you guys this week, consider what do you really believe? How firm is your foundation? And how much do you expect God to speak to you through his word? Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for what's recorded for us. God, we want to trust it. We want to believe it because in it you have shown us who you are. You have given us your words of life, God, and nowhere else are we going to find truth but in Jesus Christ in what you said and who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you died for our sins and that is a reality we can put our trust in. And just bless us as we go out from here to continue to be your light to this dark world, guys, as you are the light into our hearts. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.